All right, tonight we're going to take a look at some scriptures here. Harold has been doing a great job talking about spiritual warfare, and he has had two messages so far. His first one was the, under the idea that we are in a war and that there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of darkness, and those two are always in conflict. They're always in conflict, and they're never at peace. And as soon as you enter the kingdom of God, you begin to be in conflict with the kingdom of darkness. Before you were in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness owned you and had claim upon you, and there was no schism. It was all good. We were going to hell, and they were glad to take us there. When we entered the kingdom of God, the power of God began to come upon us, and the first thing that happens is you begin to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and its power. And then the next thing that happens is you begin to be a missionary, a preacher of the gospel, an ambassador for Christ. And everywhere you go, you bring this message called the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that message separates people from the kingdom of darkness when they hear it, making you the enemy of the devil and the enemy of the kingdom of darkness. The way Satan hates Jesus, he hates you because you represent Jesus and bring the same message Jesus brought. And so now he hates you. So what you were once best friends with, you are now in deep conflict with. What's really bad is when Christians are still good friends with the devil. That should never be. Christians should not be good friends with the devil. How do Christians become good friends with the devil? They still enjoy the devil's kingdom. They still enjoy his food. They still enjoy his drink. They still enjoy his activities. They still enjoy his culture. And they bring his culture into their lives, trying to make the two one. And they become a good friend of the enemy. Harold went on in the next week to say, who are we fighting against? And he brilliantly said, guess what? It's not people. How many of you know the people sitting around you are not your enemies? People are not your enemies. The Bible says we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. That means humans. There are non-human spiritual entities in the world working for your demise and in the demise of every person you know. And they are constantly generating a measure of conflict and pain and struggle, throwing that upon people in ways that they could not have perceived, they could not have prepared for, they could have not become ready to face. It's just coming at them like a speeding train all day long. And without the power of God and the kingdom of God upon us, we cannot get out from underneath that. And so it's a very shallow place for when that warfare is working on us to turn around and make people our issue. It's a very immature mindset and a very immature Christian that gets all upset and freaked out over people and begins to fight with them because that is where the enemy exactly wants us to be. He was telling us that rulers and powers and principalities love to get people in derision, making them blind to those things, thinking one another is the real enemy, when the whole time we were called to love people and resist them, not the other way around, not love them and resist people. How many of you could say amen to that? So we're in a war, and we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against powers of darkness. So this third message that we're going to be looking at tonight is titled, What Are We Fighting For? So we know that we're in a war, and we know who it's against, but why keep fighting it? And i got to say this to you. Sometimes we get tired of fighting it. You ever get weary of it all? This is why you don't live a thousand years. You finally get off this planet and go to heaven and you get out of the war. We just don't keep fighting it for several hundred years, fighting the same war. At some point, you've had enough. And the will of God has been done and you go on to your reward. How many of you are grateful for that? So what are we fighting for? Well, a lot of people think they're fighting for their house payment or they're fighting for their new car or their job or a husband or a wife. What you're fighting for is a lot bigger than that. 
It's something much more important than that. We're going to go ahead and look at the Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 one more time. He says in Ephesians 6, 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Man, every Christian needs to realize they are called by God to stand against the schemes of the devil, not to entertain them and not to play with them and go join them in the form of social justice. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, your job as a Christian is to put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, and man, it's coming, you will be able to stand your ground. I want to be the kind of man of God that stands his ground when the fight is on. Let's say that one more time. We want to be the kind of people of God that when the battle is on, we stand our ground. Turn to your neighbor and say, stand your ground. Concede no land over to the devil. Don't give him an inch. Don't give him an hour. Right? We don't give him anything. And after you have done everything, oh, by the way, after you've done everything you possibly can to stand, remember to stand. Just in case you didn't hear it the first time. Stand, right? So Harold says every war is fought with a purpose. There's an intentionality to a fight. There's a purpose found in defending a cause. So many times we get focused on our inner self that we lose sight of the external battle which was going on. Think about that for a moment. It is so easy to become self-consumed that we forget and we stop thinking about, wait a minute, what's really working against me isn't so much what's going on inside of me, but it's what's coming down upon me and coming against me that's stirring up what's inside of me. You know what's a really great thing about deliverance and becoming a disciple? We shed and get rid of the things inside of us that the warfare can stir up. Right there was a big statement. Deliverance and discipleship, what do I mean by that? Deliverance is when demonic things get extracted from you in the form of mindsets, the form of habits, and sometimes even in the form of demonic powers. When you are delivered of those things, and then discipleship doesn't just deliver you from it, but works Christ in you so you don't return to it. Okay? So when you become delivered and you become a disciple, guess what? The devil has less to get you focused on inside because of all of that unresolved stuff is gone. He doesn't come and harness and bang on the door of truth. He only works in darkness and lies. The Lord told me one time, I've repeated this for many years now, listen to this, the devil only has entrance and access to your life to the measure you and him are the same. As much as you are like him, he gets a hold of you. So you know what God's always doing? It's not so much that the God is making you unlike the devil. God is making you like Jesus. And the more you're like Jesus, guess who you're not like? The devil. So when the devil comes to try to lay hold of you and find a mess in you to work with, if all he finds is Jesus, the Bible says the ruler of this world, Jesus said, is coming after me, and he has nothing in me. In other words, when the devil came to play games with Jesus, there was nothing in Jesus the devil could make use of to deceive him. You know what God's work in your life is? Is to get you to a place of maturity so when the devil comes to you, there's nothing inside of you for him to work with either. The inner fight is only realized through how much we've not resolved in Christ. As Christians, we understand why we are waging a war. Otherwise, we'll not engage in the fight. We'll find ourselves, listen to this, apathetic, 
resistant and defeated and in self-indulgent lifestyles. Whenever I'm apathetic, resistant, and defeated, it's a sign that I have succumbed to the warfare and that I'm no longer on top of it. It's on top of me. And that means something in my life agreed with the warfare to go get it in unity with it to get underneath it. Something in my life agreed with the warfare to go get in unity with it so I could get underneath it. But when I'm in Christ, something in me agrees with God that when the warfare comes, I go, I'm in a fight, and it's an intentional one. And guess what? The fight's not in here. It's out here, and I recognize where it is. It's not him. It's not her. It's you. Satan and the demonic horde, it's you. Say it's you. It's you. I'm resisting you. I'm standing against you. And anything that's in me that you get to come and play with, Lord, get it out of me. Yeah? So one of the things we are really fighting for, get this, in this life, is to be in the presence of God. Everyone say, to be in the presence of God. One of the biggest battles you face as a Christian is to stay in the presence of God. Because let me say something to you. If there's any place the devil and all of his horde do not want you to be is in the presence of God. The devil does not want you in the presence of God. Why does he not want you there? Because he can't reach you there. And he can't speak to you there. And he definitely can't deceive you there. And in fact, the more time you spend there, you're going to have greater ability to destroy his kingdom. So he does not want you there. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Here we're saying we must constantly live a life of seeking in my heart, in my mind, through my words and actions. I constantly want to live and contend for the presence of God. I just want to say this to you. I know in my own life as a prophetic person, there's nothing that means more to me than the presence of God because it's the tangible reality of God. I just can't serve a theological truth or a Bible story. I have to know the living and abiding God himself. Hallelujah. How many of you can say amen? I remember when I gave my life to Jesus and I went to church, there were all these people clicking off Sundays in a row and then having a nice Christian life. And I thought, this will never do. I was too much in bondage and in sin to come and just click Sundays off and be a nice religious person. This will never do. I'll never make it here. I'll go back to sin in two weeks. And so it's like, Lord, if I don't enter into your presence and know you and apprehend you and walk with you, I'm doomed. Because I'm not smart enough and great enough to remain clear. Something we say here every week, but it bears repeating. One of the main reasons the Holy Spirit came to your life when you were saved is to keep you in relationship with God. Because our own mind and our own heart will deceive us, but the Spirit of God's there to go, wait a minute, doesn't the Word of God say this? Don't do that, don't say that, don't go there, don't go with them, don't think that. How many of you ever feel the check of the Spirit come to you and say, don't go there. Don't do that. Resist that. Pull away from these people. Go with them. Don't go with them. What's going on here? The spirit is involved, and the whole time you're contending to stay in that presence, to stay in that light, to stay in that anointing, to stay in that realm of glory where you remain clear. I could say this, man. In the presence of God, anything is possible because everything's possible through God. My difficulty is being in God to know what's possible. And then to find the power to do it. Hallelujah. Think about that. The hardest part isn't God doing something. The hardest part is getting into God to know what he's doing and then to have the faith to do it. You're fighting to be in the presence of God. 
If you've ever operated in signs and wonders and miracles, if you're in that moment and you're in that realm and that spirit and that anointing is present, it's just like making a sandwich. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just like easy as nothing. You know why? Because you're so in God and it's so God and you're so there with him, it's just working out of you. It's just flowing. It's like, I'm not working this up. This isn't even hard. I've been in other countries, did prayer lines and ministered to people. I saw miracles. I saw people's ears opening. I saw all kinds of things happening to people. It was just like butter, just nothing. You know why? Because we were so in the presence of God, we weren't even thinking about these things being difficult. It never occurred to us that they were difficult because we're deep enough in God's presence. We had contended to be there. He was so real upon us and so strong on us, and we were so in it with him, it was just like, just like breathing. And when I get away from that presence and I'm all buried in my humanity and my pain, my carnality and my mess, those things seem like a million miles away and never going to be possible again. But when I get back into that place of the glory of God and the presence of God, I can pray, I can think, I can hear, I can rest, I can walk with God. You are contending to be in the presence of God. Man, I can't say that enough. You are fighting in a spiritual fight to be in the presence of God. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. This is why I refuse to not be a part of a local church. I want to be in the presence of God and in the house of God. Now, this structure is not the house of God. We are the house of God. The people of God gathered We're the spiritual place of God in the spirit, right? The dwelling place of God in the spirit, Ephesians chapter 2. I want to contend for the church to be in the presence of God, not just for me to be in the presence of God. It's not just I want to be in the presence of God. We want to be in the presence of God. I want to be in the presence of God with Harold and Evan and, and Brian and Tristan and all of you over here. I want to be in the presence of God with all of us because then when we're all in the presence of God, The parts my life doesn't get because of my gifting and uniqueness, your uniqueness and gift gives, right? And so we begin to draw from one another. And after a while, there is such a rich sharing of Christ because we're all in the presence of God and we all fought to get there. Sunday morning was an amazing time here. You know why? Because we were all in the presence of God. Especially at the end of that meeting, we were in the presence of God so much that no one wanted to leave. Why didn't we want to leave? Because we had contended all Saturday night, all morning through worship. We were contending. We were fighting to be in the presence of God, not just ourselves, but as a church. And when we had gathered there, it's like we're in heaven. We're in the glory of God. We don't want to leave this place. Maybe say praise God to that. Another thing you are contending for is your eternal place with God. Check this out. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It scares the tar out of me. 2 John 1.8 says this. Watch out that you do not lose what you worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Paul echoed this in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. One of the things I want to contend for is to not lose what God has given me. How many people have you known that started in Christ but didn't finish? You don't want to ask someone who's been in Christ 40 years that question. 
I will have been a Christian this year 40 years, four decades. I don't even want to talk about how many people that are no longer in God. If I said to you it's the majority, I'd be being kind. Statistically, most of us won't be here in 10 years. I'm not talking about you. How many of you have served God for a long time know a little bit of what I just said? There's a bunch of people that just don't make it. They turn their back, they harden their heart, and they become disqualified through going back to demonic lies, coming back under demonic power, and reengaging the things they were once saved from. I don't want to do that. I never want to return to my former life. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I'd say, I've been saved a month. I made it a month. I'm not going back. I was terrified I was going to go back to my old life. I remember when I'd been saved six months. I almost wanted to go and have pizza and have a party or something. I've not been serving the devil for six months. I'm not going to hell anymore. I remember when I'd been saved a year. I was like, "Woo, we've graduated. I never thought I could have been a Christian a year. I thought the devil would get me back. When it was two years, I'm like, this may really be working. When it was five years, I think I'm going to make it. I still count the years down. And here's what I do not want to be so foolish to think, that at 40 years of serving God, we've got it made in the shade, and we no longer need to contest. We no longer need to fight. We no longer need to resist hell's power. You never arrive until you go to heaven's shores. Once you're on the other side and you're in eternity, the devil can't get you there. Check out what I'm saying now. The devil would love for you to become secure thinking you've arrived at something. That's a perfect moment to get you deceived and to think you no longer need to fight for this. Actually, the longer you walk with God, the more you realize you need to fight because you're not really so much fighting for yourself. But if you have a wife or husband, you're fighting for them now. If you have kids and grandkids or nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, you're fighting for everybody. And then there's all these people that come into the church that become your friends that get in your heart because you love them. And now you're fighting for them. We never stop fighting for eternal things to become real. And I never want to be like David, who at the time when kings went to battle, the time they were supposed to be in a fight, he was up on the rooftop checking out Bathsheba. At the time the kings went to battle, David stayed at home. You know what he did? He thought, we've arrived. God's given us everything we want. I think I'm going to relax. And in that relaxing, the devil got a hold of him, and man, all hell broke loose. And that tells the story that you can fall from any place in this life if you become deceived. I'm going to say it again. I can become deceived if I want to be. If I stop fighting for the presence of God and I stop contesting for the things of God, I don't care how long I've walked with God. I don't care how many Bible degrees I have and how many Shandais I can say. The devil is coming. And my humanity without God's presence that I'm fighting for is not strong enough to resist him. He will get me. I said he will get me. Solomon turned away from God at the end of his life. He can get you if you resist God and stop fighting. If I lay down my weapons and pick up the remote, he can come and get me. You know why you're at prayer school tonight? Because you're fighting. You're fighting for eternal things. And you're saying, no way. I refuse for hell to come and get a hold of me now. I'm fighting for eternal things. Satan and his horde are not coming for me. 
When he comes and knocks on my door, he's going to find pilot lights for eyeballs and a fire-breathing prophet. Come on. Hallelujah. Man, is, it, is there some fire in your bones down somewhere tonight that says, in the name of Jesus, we are resisting hell and its power. I came to prayer school to pray in tongues and to cry out to God and to throw down. Demonic spirits are not going to come for me. If they do, they're going to find something they don't want called the Word of God. They're going to find something they don't want, a fired up on fire man and woman of God ready to pray in tongues and cast out demonic spirits. You've picked the wrong enemy. I don't say that in my pride. I say it in Christ. In the name of Jesus, we're walking with God here. And God's power is in us and upon us. And there is no way we're going to surrender that and forfeit eternal things. Can you tell I'm a little fired up about this message? Is it okay to be a little fired up sometimes about Jesus? Come on, just a little bit, right? I mean, we're talking about eternal life here. If there's anything to be excited about, it's that. The last thing we're going to test for and we're going to start praying is for the glory of God. I want God to be glorified, man. I want God to be glorified in the whole earth. I want God to be glorified in the church. The Bible says to him be glory in the church. God's goal is to glorify himself throughout the earth. For the earth will be filled, Habakkuk 2.14, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We fight a spiritual fight because we are wanting God to be glorified and triumph over the enemy every time. Until Jesus comes back and all things are set right, the glory of God is still coming into the earth and we refuse to surrender this ground. We refuse to surrender this land over to devils and darkness. Every time someone's healed, the glory of God showed up. Every time someone's saved, God was glorified. Every time someone was delivered, Every time someone made a righteous decision, every time somebody chose love instead of hate, in the name of Jesus, God was glorified. Don't you love it when God is glorified and you stand back and go, wow, man, that was God. Did you see what God did? Did you see what God did? Did you see what God is doing? God, be glorified. God, be glorified in my home. God, be glorified in my church. God, be glorified at my business. You know how the glory of God shows up is when people begin to give glory to God when something happens. Even non-believers have to sometimes stand back and go, wow, I may not be a Christian or anything, but I have to say, that was God. That was pretty amazing. Have you ever prayed for a non-believer and God did something and they had to reckon with, whoa, that's God. God glorified himself. You ever been in a restaurant or out on the street or somewhere and you prayed for somebody and a miracle happened or the power of God moved and someone started crying or they asked you to pray for them and they begin to surrender their life? That's the glory of God coming down right there. I am contending for that glory to be revealed in this world. You are. We're praying in tongues. We're resisting hell. We're fighting a fight because we believe God is going to glorify himself among us. How many of you could say amen to that? Praise God. Amen, amen.